329 p.m. March 27th, entering the RSS feed of Got It Memorized, a Twin Peaks podcast with a Kingdom Hearts quote for a title. Shouldn't be too hard to remember. I'm sure the hosts have a fun show. That's what I need. Fun show, reasonably paced. My name is Joe. I'm joined, as always, by Wheels. How are you, Wheels? Good. The rare PM recording mm-hmm. of Got It Memorized. Ah, yes. The late hours of three o'clock. The late, late show. Yeah. <laughs> it's a double feature with us and... Jimmy Fallon. I think this episode is mostly okay. It's fine. I really like how it starts and how it ends, and there's some uh, things here and there. I also... <laughs> There is some weird shit with like the editing in this episode. Like, are you talking about the Nadine, the Nadine sequence where there's like a, a weird rewind? There's like a line dubbed in. Oh, there's that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah those. I mean, those scenes are almost. I mean, probably intentionally meant to feel extra deranged. But there's like, rather than let one song end several times in this episode, they just start the next one and just let them both play. Like, there's so many things layered on top of each other in this one. Not in the way we get into the return where Cooper's face is superimposed on top of everything else happening. But but I do really like how this episode starts, part because having especially watched season three and liking season three in the movie a lot, I have latched on a lot to the through line of Sarah Palmer as the remaining Palmer and her yes. just leftover trauma to just like, all right, well, okay, here you go. And here's your just life. This absolutely, I mean... You hate to be so harsh, but just this absolutely ruined woman, like her entire family died in a matter of weeks. That's kind of what the return ends up showing us is like she doesn't ever obvious. Obviously, you can't recover from that in some sense. Um, And that's kind of what the return shows with her. But no, and this sequence is great. It's uh, Cooper talking to her. On the day that she's about to have Leland's funeral. We don't ever see the funeral, but we do see the wake. I'm sure the whole thing goes haywire. <laughs> right. This is Cooper kind of psyching her up for it. Doc Hayward is there because and, she, and he's trying to get her to take some sort of medication. Uh, uh, anti-grief injection. I don't I, know what he's I don't, I don't know. know what he's got going over there. The wiki like, just says it sedative. Like, it sounds like Dr. Jacoby is a is like pretty good hookup, I guess. Is what I'm saying. Like, well, this is Hayward. What else happens? Yeah, it's basically what I said. Cooper is uh, psyching her up. They have a discussion about like it's weird. It's kind of like too Leland forgiving for my taste. But Cooper says something along the lines of, "Yeah, he he says like I watched Leland right before he died, and I think he saw Laura, and Laura forgave him, or something like that." And yeah, but what's really impactful about this, even if I'm like eh, on the sentiment is the execution because we get this extended extreme close-up of Sarah and you just see the roller coaster of emotions that she would go on Mm -hmm. uh, like on the day of her husband's funeral hearing these things from the officer that saw him die yeah, like, there's like, so much what, going on maybe since laura yeah. and then that's the thing it's like oh your daughter dies you're absolutely devastated the three weeks pass and oh found who did it it was your husband he's dead now too like yeah on top of i guess i'm assuming she found out about leland and maddie basically at the same time considering like they held back that like the news of Maddie for yeah, like long enough. I forgot. Yeah, she lost a niece too, which I'm sure doesn't help. No. Boy. And this is, uh, I think, the first time we've seen like an on-screen sort of jump in time. Interestingly enough, the shooting script says four days later. It says actually three days later in the episode. 
Not sure why that distinction is made, but it's funny that it feels like such a jump into the future when it's, you know, yeah. that many days will pass in another show in a single episode, but not here in Twin Peaks. We no. go day by day, motherfucker. These are the days of our lives. Uh-huh. I, I agree with you on that scene that I think there's a couple lines that I'm like, uh, sound a little like, no, that's not the lead Lanyunu. And it's like, well, I mean, it was, but it's, I, you know, I largely get where the character of Cooper would be coming from in the scene. <laughs> like fish in the percolator. These are the <laughs> days of our lives. Thank you. But yeah, that's the, that's the end of that scene. And then we basically go from, I think, yeah, we, we go right into, I, I guess, wake would be the term. There's sort of just like a, everyone sort of gathers from the town. And I don't even remember. Is this the Poe? No, this is the Hayward house, which is what I thought. It's just everyone sort of gathering somber conversation. Although the tone of this scene will occasionally just cut between people being sad and Two guys we've never seen before be huge dipshits, which I mean that yeah. I, I see Twin Peaks. Dare I say it? Uh huh. Also, we've seen the Can't mayor say before. I, I, I'm trying to think if I've ever actually been to a wake. Like I've been to funerals, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if any of the funerals of people that were close to me were. But is it like I don't know? It's like uh, it's such an intimate environment. This scene, and like you're saying, there's like people fighting each other and stuff. So it's like this really kind of somber, but but really vulnerable look at Twin Peaks. You get the whole town gathered in one person's house and it really mm-hmm. starts to feel like the small town that it is. Yeah. E- even it'll even use that to remind you of like other things. Like for the first time in a while, we've seen Big Ed and Norma talk to each other on their own. Well, we don't even hear the conversation. It's just like we see them and then like Hank looks over, but he's doing something else. We see Donna's mom for the first time in a while. Talk to they talk to Sarah about like their kids making some friends forever promise. Yeah, it's Mrs. Hayward, it's Sarah Palmer, and it's Audrey, which is a nice yeah. collection of characters we don't usually see together, but it's like small town women sticking together. Yeah, all people, I mean, I guess except for her mom, but sort of on the fringes of Laura's life specifically, because even Audrey was like, I mean, I knew her, but right. that, that's it. But that's the thing, we occasionally will also check in on Nadine who's going with her own stuff where she's like, can people look Still up Still think she's my 18 skirt? years old. Yeah, she's she asks if someone can look up her skirt with a reflection in her shoes, which like, no. But that's like an extended bit. Jacoby's back, and we talk to him for a minute with where Major Briggs invites Cooper on a fishing trip. Yeah, and we'll catch up with that later. It's yeah. set up for basically the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we should say that the people who are fighting that we keep mentioning yeah, yeah. are the elderly mayor whom we saw in the pilot, and I think only the pilot, maybe an episode or two, and a new character, which is his younger brother, uh, who apparently, as we learn in this episode, is the owner of the newspaper in town and the two have quarreled for longer than anyone can remember that, you know, whoever it is that ends up commenting on it mentions, like, I doubt even they remember why they were angry at each other the fir- in the first place. I like that the script does identify them as a ste- septuagenarian. Uh-huh. Also, I can't tell you the way my ears perked up when someone said Dougie. Like, when his they said his name was Dougie, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm doing the fucking line on the corkboard. What does it mean? Yeah, that's a nothing. I'm sure profound point. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't mean anything. Uh, it's also funny too because uh, someone asked if we were going to cover the books or anything on the podcast, and uh, no, it's bad enough that we read shooting scripts for television 
and try and recap it for you and make jokes. We're not going to do that. But for the books, book's long. Yeah. I haven't read the second one. I will. I've read the first one. I mean, it's not like overly long. It's a good, it's a good read. It's a good read. You like, should all read it, but we're not going to. It gonna would be hard to recap it. in the no. format where we, how we do things. No, it's good though. I, I like the, what is it? Secret history of Twin Peaks. What, what, That's the one I read. Yeah. The reason I think about it is because I remembered, oh yeah, the guy who owns the, magazine i for he's this is the first time he's shown up in the show but he's mentioned quite a bit in the book and yeah there's some other stuff pete pete is back he explains why the the brothers are fighting the um or he just, he just says that the milfords are fighting he also mentions that one of them are like there's a there's a current uh dispute because dougie is engaged to be married for the fifth time and pete mentions yeah she's in her teens and he's like in his 70s so you know <laughs> It's one of those things. I was confused because they said she's in her teens and he's 110. So that's that's Pete's exaggerating it. The shooting script says she's 22. He's 78. Got you. Got you. That makes sense. Yeah. Neither of those characters look like they're 110. No. Maybe uh, maybe the old bellhop at uh, yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the Great Northern. Yeah, he's, he's hits that, he one foot in the spiritual realm. Uh, you know, you think with a name like Milford, they'd be going on the older side. But no. The joke's MILFs, everybody. Oh, I get it. I'm just reading the rest of this shooting script that did not get into the episode, and it's just funny. Dwayne was a dog catcher. He let dogs loose in Dougie's house when they were fighting earlier, and <laughs> damn dogs ate all the furniture. Broke up Dougie's third marriage, too, as I recall. That's amazing. Yeah, that's super not in the episode. No. We go to the diner, and we see Vivian and Norma talk. The shooting script shows... Hank and Ernie going off on some trip. We just sort of see them later. But we do eventually see Norma and Vivian talk in the diner where she's like, everything's messed up now because I got a negative review from that anonymous critic. And, you know, M.T. Wentz from the M.T. Wentz episode. Vivian's like, yeah, that's a shame. Anyways, it was me. Yeah. I'm your daughter. Why didn't you give me a positive review? Which is like, because I'm a professional, damn it. Yeah, because of ethics and food journalism, Norma. Come on. <laughs> just don't review it. If you have a conflict of bias, just don't review it. But anyways, no, Boy, she, she's... She is a cruel person to her poor, hardworking daughter. I feel so bad for Norma in this scene. Like, she keeps it together, but you can see how upset she is to learn that it was her mother that wrote a scathing review of her own restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, that she just, she just, you can tell on her face that she's just cemented like, yep, I was right. My mom will never be proud of me. And I know that in this moment. And it was a shame for me to even give her the second chance by hanging out with her in, in this season. I can't remember any other Norma in this episode, but Vivian exits stage left. We'll see a little bit more of Ernie later. So maybe we'll see Vivian again later too. But we go then to the high school for the exciting entrance of new character vice principal greege yeah yeah we couldn't get we couldn't get Wolchek in for this meeting he was no. super busy so we we're hanging out with yeah. the greege greege shot first <laughs> what kind of fucking name is greege not unclear if it's first in the, uh, in or the last original name. in the original edit does that imply that big ed shoots first in the scene nadine probably yeah uh so what happens here McClunky. is that nadine is they uh, <laughs> 
we can't start talking about McClunky Joe. We would be here all day. Mm-hmm. It's so fucked up that they put McClunky, McClunky in that movie, Joe. McClunky is when Sheriff Truman's hat jumps up in the return. Yeah, but it wasn't <laughs> in there originally, which is even wilder. Yeah, no, it's uh, we can't talk about McClunky. But yes, this scene is super powered Nadine but she thinks she's 18 years old. They're trying to admit her into the school so that she can like do her senior year. And because they're doing this plot line where they have to like go with her vision of the world around her, even if it's not right. Shooting script has a lot of dialogue of Jacoby explaining the regression and and like greed giving. Oh, he doesn't even say a single no. thing in the actual scene, does he? No, and greed goes like, like he's these are the conditions. She has to be a regular student. Blah blah blah. And I, the scene is so much better for having as little dialogue as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's just enough to establish like what's happening. You get they it. Work something out. Yeah, and then the next time we'll see her, she's trying out for cheerleading practice. Yeah, also a a, a pretty funny and uh, deeply absurd scene so there's a lot of things sort of being set up for the second half of the season also sort of tied off of things that maybe haven't been tied off yet and this next scene is that where audrey goes to cooper and is like you're leaving i thought we were meant to be together and cooper's like no you're a teenager and also the last person i loved and was involved with the job died and that's the one that's more important to me for some reason but still you are a teenager it's a nice scene. It is um, a nice scene. It's very it, true to both of their whole deals. Yeah, you can kind of see like the facade of Cooper break a little bit because mm-hmm. she is just ans- or rather she is asking all of the kind of obvious questions like you seriously going to like you're just going to leave like you're, you know, we clearly had some sort of connection, like can't we like keep in touch or whatever? And he and she keeps just asking like the obvious questions that Cooper doesn't want to answer and he eventually just gives and yeah, tells that story of the last time I got involved with someone who was related to a case I was on, I fell in love with her and she died. So it's kind of a sore spot for me. And it's, it's, he's, he keeps his cool as he always does. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can kind of, you can see like, boy, that's not a, that's not a memory he likes thinking about and you can tell that it still yeah. influences his decisions uh to this day in a way that it's like oh yeah i can see on your face that yeah this is not fun for you to recount that attachment is is partly what he blames for not being ready to protect her because he was supposed to protect her in in that job also his partner at the time was Wyndham earl and he turned into that's the right. joker after she died so that's sort of the yes. further setup for the rest of the season is that Wyndham earl will become the 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 big bad for these last what is it 12 12 or so episodes something yeah. uh, there's a lot of episodes in this season but anyways yeah audrey's like oh, okay well i guess we'll just be friends and she says friendship is the foundation of any lasting relationship which apparently is something he said earlier yeah because he says it's nice to be accurately quoted yeah <laughs> As she walks off, she's like, there's only one problem with you. You're perfect. And then she leaves. In the full context of the return, there's a harrowing way for their... I mean, obviously they have more scenes together because Mm -hmm. Cooper isn't actually leaving in this scene because of things that happen later in this episode. But boy, thinking about like we're told happens between this season and the return between the two of them. It's kind of dark. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, that's the, that's what I like. I like about the return that I realized why it had like zero viewers by episode four is that I'm like the, the idea of coming back. Things are worse. 
is like, of course they would be. Yeah, yeah. It was le- it was this place whose problems have been left alone for twenty five years, and it's got more problems that you've never heard of because you haven't been there in twenty five years, and towns change, but yeah. also all those problems are still there, and it's yeah. festered. It's, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful decision creatively. But boy, it's kind of harrowing to exist through. It's a, yeah. I mean, also talking around the bleak cliffhanger this season ends on, which obviously you have to follow yeah. up. But like, it's it's interesting that we are in peak. I mean, we've been in peak revival. I mean, before Force Awakens, but I think that was a tipping point because it was like, what if we just do everything again? And then every instance of people trying to interrogate that idea has gone poorly. And I think Twin Peaks The Return or Matrix Resurrections are great examples of like, we will interrogate it deeply. Why are we doing this? It wouldn't get better. But also, isn't it still kind of like, isn't there like a little bit of niceness? Like the the little bit of nice moments you do see in The Return feel so much more earned because you're like, you're, you're questioning why you want it so badly. And I like the return quite a bit. That's what, yeah, that that really is what it ends up feeling like. Of the return is not necessarily made for someone who wants Twin Peaks back, but yeah. Twin Peaks is back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. It's like not not a perfect movie, but divisive. The Last Jedi, even just like Luke in that movie, mean like what? You just thought I would show up and be an old hero again, and everything would be solved? Why would you think that? <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a great little distillation of how all fiction kind of is right now. Anyways, Bobby Shelley Leo scene. Yeah, Bobby puts on a suit and he says it's big and it's bad. And I was like, just like the Bobcat, the big bad Bobcat. He doesn't finish his own fucking bit. The bopper. Uh, yeah, he's wearing a suit that is Leo's, which is why it's big on him. Uh, but he's going to meet Ben Horn. He's got this dumb little. Uh, I actually, I remember the plot line of Bobby and Ben fondly. I'm sure it sucks, Oof. but I, re- yeah. I just remember liking things about it anyway, like regardless of I quality. Mean, it's dumb as if shit. It's what, if it's what I'm, if you're referring to what I think you're referring to, it sure is a weird thing that they do. Yeah, no, it's dumb as shit, but I, uh, the, the episode where it, like, the the big episode about that stuff is directed by Diane Keaton, I learned recently. Weird. But anyways, that's, ba- this scene is just him going off, basically. Yeah, he's going to blackmail. He's gonna try. Ben Horn. But that's right. Uh, this first scene, it's, it reiterates that Shelly is not living the dream that she wanted to, the dream of her and Bobby against the world. She's like, all I do here is sit here and watch Leo. I haven't left in weeks. And he's like, come on, come on, come on. I'll, I'll, it'll be fine. And uh, she's like, all right, I can wait a little longer. And that's basically where we leave her. Interesting that they, they set up this plot line that there's scenes that get into the idea of like medical industry really doesn't treat people well when they need so much support. But it also doubles as this weird like, Oh, I guess these kids had a uh, these these teenagers had a baby way too young, and now the dad's like, "I'm gonna go off and do this," and she's like, "I just want to go outside." Like you kind of get both yep. plot lines out of it, which is interesting. But also, there's the scary threat of, "Oh no, what if Leo wakes up and kills both of us?" Yeah, and I think it's later in this episode that he seems to be. You know, we've seen inklings before mm-hmm. of him approaching lucidity, and that continues to happen in this episode. Yep. 
Catherine's back for real. Yeah, there's a Sheriff Truman and Catherine scene where Catherine just lies through her teeth. <laughs> She's like, I was surviving in the woods on my own. A, a guardian angel saved me. I super didn't do anything racist since you thought I was dead. I went to the mill. mill. Shelly Johnson was there. And then, you know, there was a fire. I wonder to what extent she did just wake up somewhere because, like, supernatural shit does just happen in this show. Obviously, the part where she sits up at Pearl Lakes until right now isn't true. She shows back up as, as Tojimura. My guess is that ver- that the only things about her story that are true are the things that the cops have already verified. So That's she just needs to read. work them into her story because, yeah... I, I- I would imagine she had some nefarious scheme that allowed her to escape the way that she did rather than luck. Because yeah. she had the whole, she had the whole disguise ready, apparently. Yeah, I don't know. I have truly no memory of what remains of this plot line going forward, except for um, how things shake out for old Pete in the, in the finale. That's all I remember. I watching it with no memory, I I wondered how much of it was true, if any. The mill stuff continues to be milling, still milling it. We get a uh, we get a threes company. <laughs> we get a what is what would you call this? It's it's Dick Tremaine, Lucy, and Andy. Both Dick and Andy, they're both doing their their best to impress Lucy. Like I will be because Dick is like, oh, I've I've done the uh, big brothers and big sisters program or no, uh, he, the he happy helping up. hand program. Yeah. Uh, he says, I'll be a part time big. <laughs> it's so bad. He says, I'll be a part time big brother to some adorable homeless wave. <laughs> yeah, great, great uh, performance. And, then, and that, he's trying guy. to impress her like, see, I can do good deeds. And then Andy is like making a big show of being like, hello, Dick, we should be gentlemen about this. Shake my hand. And then later he says to Hawk, like, Lucy loves morality and manly action. (laughs) (laughs) Did I go too far? Yeah, that's basically what the whole scene is, is she's like, they're both trying to be very nice to me to prove that they will be a good father. But this is just more confusing than anything. Uh, We go then to the sheriff's department where there is a, a, a quite nice scene between Cooper and Truman where he gives... Uh, well, Truman gives Cooper a fishing bait and explains why it's so important of, of the fish in that particular stream. And it's a nice little scene between these two guys. And Cooper has his emotional farewell where he... I do got to interrupt you because there is a line where he says that when those steelhead are running upstream, they're only thinking about one thing, sex. <laughs> I mean, I know what he's talking about because it's like fish spawning. It's so funny because it's the meme format before the meme. Yeah. It's men only think about one thing and it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Green butt skunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, also don't know what green butt skunk is. I guess it's a type of bait. it's just a lure. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But uh, he also gives him a bookhouse boys patch. Literally just looks like a merit badge. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. They're all big, uh, big Boy Scouts. Which have we seen them wear this? No. I'm, I, it really makes you ponder, doesn't it? I can't it? tell if I've just seen it before because I've seen it before or if it's been in the show this season at all. I don't know. But regardless, he goes to say his goodbyes to everybody. Specifically, he says, Hawk, if I'm ever lost, I hope you're the man they send to find me, which, of course, everyone... Comes up in the return. Yeah, everybody points back to. Goes to Andy, is just like, says your bravery is exceeded by the size of your heart. And then, the, yeah, it's Lucy just says, good luck with the wedding, whoever it is. And then... 
suspiciously eyes Andy. It's like, it should be Andy, by the way. <laughs> I didn't even catch that glare. That's cute. Yeah, um, but right before he gets out the door, we get a, a two new characters. We get a FBI agent, Roger Hardy, and a Mountie. And the fucking RCMP. Not a good combo. No. We don't like to see it. I don't know. I don't like to see Mounties in general. I'm not a Mountie fan. If we, we have some, you know, people who aren't familiar with how Canada works who are listening to this. The Mounties, a.k.a. the RCMP, their primary function is to exhibit state violence against indigenous populations. That's basically the only thing that they do. So, fuck the RCMP. They're not cute little guys in funny costumes who ride horses. And it's upsetting whenever they're... Mm-hmm. <laughs> whenever they're but I guess that's, ba- that's not really how they're portrayed in this either, but... Well, no, I, I, is there any Mountie other than RCMP. this guy... Who is a bad guy? That's a great point. Yeah, I think, yeah, the only Mountie... Yeah, you know what? Twin Peaks is based. (laughs) That's a great point. What ends up happening, what Joe is referring to, is that he is here because... Cooper is suspended from the FBI, and so he ends up sticking around, and that's kind of their way to get him stuck in Twin Peaks for a while, is that he's suspended from his job. The reason he's suspended is because of his uh, multiple extrajudicial actions across international borders from season one, and I guess earlier season two, um, when he came to rescue Audrey. Yep. Mountie seems to have evidence that... Cooper was involved in some of the deaths in those incidents that we know Cooper wasn't involved in. But at the end, near the end of the episode, it's revealed that actually this Mountie is actually working for Jean Renault. But we don't really get so many of the details. We don't know how the the double agent double crossing, how all of that plays out. But he is also an employee in the employee of Jean Renault, and it's difficult to tell to the viewer is where his true allegiances lie. Yeah, but it's clear that, like, it's clear from the dialogue that he has with Jean Renault that they are both trying to fuck over Cooper now. Like, yes. I mean, that sums up a lot of scenes. Cooper just tells the truth. He's like, yeah, I crossed the state lines. None of the deaths had anything to do with me. The thing that you should be charging me with is, what is it, misfeasance? The improper and unlawful execution of an act that in itself is lawful and proper. Rescuing Audrey Horn was a good thing. Had to cross a country line to do it. Um, and later, uh, they try to get Truman inf- uh, information from Truman, and he's just like, no, that's my Fuck boyfriend. You. Get a warrant. We're married. Yeah, right. I can't yeah. go against yeah. him in court. I've known this guy for three weeks, and if anything happened to him, I'd kill everyone and then myself. <laughs> There's not that much to the to this plot other than it's their yeah. excuse to keep Cooper in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Let's see, what do we get? We get more of the Bobby blackmailing Ben Horn sequence. It doesn't really go well for Bobby, but Bobby does kind of get one lesson out of it, which is that even if he can't get Ben Horn's attention, which he basically fails to do in this episode, he gets like thrown out. If he goes through Audrey, he can get to Ben Horn because Ben will listen to Audrey. So that's kind of the what he intuits here. And you can tell Audrey is like, oh, he wants to do something bad to my father i don't know what it is yet but i sure do hate my dad so let's see where this goes they, they have a good sort of chemistry back and forth so that's those yeah. scenes are good that that set that up for for later because they both try to look so cool all the time yeah and so when they both do it it's like just fucking you just, just stop you two yeah 
So it, yes, you're right. It has great chemistry and a frustrating. These teens are trying to be way too cool around each mm-hmm. other. Way Bobby like leaves leaves gum like on the side of the door of Ben Horn's uh-huh. office. Like fucking come on, Bobby. Yeah, like, why aren't you in school? I don't know. Why aren't you? Because they realized that it, we looked like adults, so they stopped putting us in school. But then yeah. it almost feels like Nadine going to school is like a triple layer joke about that. <laughs> Could be. I don't know. Hard to say. Anyways, we go now to some more interrogation. We've basically summarized all the Cooper interrogation stuff um, and given away what the Mounties whole deal is. But then we get the Truman scene I already talked about as well. Uh, Then we get Nadine trying out for cheerleading. And I mean, she's real good. She's real good at cheerleading. I gotta know. What the fuck is a steeplejack? Uh, I don't know. Let me. Is that like one of those cereals? Do, is is <laughs> do we have the the racist fake patois cinnamon stick? Is that what a steeplejack There's is? There's a steeplejack brewing company in Portland. Uh, is it a type a of steeplejack? Is a craftsperson who scales buildings, chimneys, and church steeples to carry out. Ri- Pairs or maintenance. Oh. I was thinking I was thinking about the root word steeple. And that's a I was like, surely it's something to do with the steeple. Apparently Greege is in the script here. I do not know if he's in the scene for real. Can't say I retained the face of Greege, but regardless. Nadine's great at uh at the corkscrew. Chuck's a guy. And then we go to Shelly, who answers the phone. For Bobby, you don't even hear his side of the conversation, just sort of getting an update that uh he'll be home eventually. I guess he's we don't see his conversation with Audrey on screen, but I guess he's checking up with that. And Shelly's like, guess it's the longest meeting ever. And then Leo sort of moves towards her a little bit. It's a great shot the way it's framed because it's like the the wheelchair wheel and it's like continues to cover up the screen. You still see Shelly through the the gaps in between the spokes. It's I know, it's just a great frame, but eventually Shelly notices and gets scared and says uh, that she's scared on the phone. And then we get a we get like a hard cut to black. I mean, I'm guessing there there's were a, there's commercials. A couple in this episode. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a second one. I'm assuming that it's a commercial break that goes in there. But even in the the cut that you would watch it on streaming, it it, it is an affecting cut to black because it's like we don't know we don't really get to see the resolution of that. We just get more building tension of the Leo is slowly waking up bit. And like you say, it's a very tense it's very tense the way that it's framed that you can't really see what part of Leo has woken up enough what what body part has woken up enough that he can use it to propel him. You just see that he is slightly propelled. Mm-hmm. There's a whole scene in this shooting script where Cooper and Truman talk about Wyndham Merle and chess, and that's not in the episode. Wow. So, well, no, maybe it comes up s- stuff later. But then, then here is the Norma Vivian scene, which also we've already seen or, or discussed, I should say, because um, it's in it's actually earlier in the episode, even though it's so late in this script. And then we get Hank and Ernie, Hank being Norma's husband, Ernie being her mom's husband newly introduced and they are going up to uh to one i jacks where ernie's because if you recall hank actually knows ernie from uh prison from shared history because they were both in prison together but vivian norma's mom does not know that her new husband ernie was ever in prison so there's a whole there's a lot going on yeah and he's trying to get ernie in on the business to uh give Give some more money over to the One-Eyed Jacks drug into the business, and Ernie is reluctantly 
getting involved because he's apparently really good with hacking computers and uh, wiring money illegally and all these other things that they say in, in vagities. And I don't know. I mean, it's a fine enough scene if you're invested in this plot. And also entering the scene is the aforementioned Mountie. Do they ever say his name? I'm not sure. Not that I saw in the episode. But yeah, he brings in some cocaine that's going to be Ernie's responsibility. And also he's going to take some to plant. To like plant on Cooper, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, Jean Reno says that he wants him crucified. And it's like, no, no, no. Cooper, I don't think he's supposed to be the Christ metaphor. But I guess he also has some stuff going on down the road. So maybe who knows? <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. Uh, it's funny because even Jean is st- uh, the way that he, he like takes a big drag off the cigarette and the way that his arm hangs as he says crucified. He's kind of almost mimicking the crucifixion pose a little bit with the cigarette in his hand. Yeah. It's neat. Josie's back, everybody. She falls into Sheriff Truman's house at night and he's like a cartoon wolf or something. Yeah. He's like, oh, ki- Josie's back. Time for kisses. Kisses for Truman. It's so strange. Yeah, it clearly hurt and he's trying to be there for Ooga! it. But mainly it's that. Uh, we end the episode with Cooper and Major Briggs out in the woods having their little we don't see any fishing, but they're uh, sitting around a campfire discussing stuff. A lot of stuff in the script that didn't make the full episode, mainly uh, Major Briggs musing on love and light and darkness and um, all these things. But they do talk about Bob, and that does make it in. And they worry about Bob uh, still being out there, coming back. And Major Briggs is like, have you heard of the White Lodge? It's not a story the Bookhouse Boys would tell you. And Cooper is like, wait, it sounds like you're about to say something important, so I need to piss. Yep, he goes <laughs> to take a piss first uh, before he learns about the White Lodge. And wouldn't you know it... Oh no, why did I interrupt you at such an important moment to, in the conversation to piss? Now you've disappeared in some sort of X-Files cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> if only David Duchovny could show up in the next episode. There's a, there's a bright light and then Major Briggs is gone. And you in another bright light, you see a silhouette of a figure. We'll later find out it's old, it's old Wyndham. Ah. But, uh, you know, we're watching this, you'd think he was abducted. You'd think Major Briggs is abducted by aliens. Because I joke about it being an X-Files cliffhanger because it's lit like one, too. It's shot like one. It has, like, creature vision of presumably either disembodied Bob or, like, a Wyndham Earl crawling through the through the brush it really feels like an x-files uh yeah. thing so that's fascinating that david Duchovny's character appears next episode the way that the artificial light just suddenly stops shining on cooper is really it's good creepy i like it a lot yeah i guess we'll have to figure out about the lodges and some other shit later when uh, major briggs is returned to us from the clutches of Wyndham's earls and that's it wheels where can people find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at singular wheels and you can also find me on the podcast very random encounters that's where some friends and i play tabletop role-playing games and randomly determine as much as is possible currently playing things from the flood which is a 90s uh you know kind of like et or stranger things that kind of teens uh, but but a little older of of characters than either of those because we're following people in their late teens as opposed to early teens. It's uh, but yeah, it's one of those kind of supernatural teen dramas. Uh, and boy, it's been it's been a hoot and a holler. I really had a great time putting together that pilot. 
and that's great. So you can find that at vre.show. You can find me on Twitter, Ghost of Joe, Ghost of J-O, on another podcast called We Are Watching uh, One Piece. I had to remember what the name of the anime was. So we watch One Piece. One Piece is really good if you haven't heard about it. It's where uh, Rubber Boy is made of rubber, and he has friendship, and he uh, beats up dictators of countries. Boats. <laughs> and boats happen, too. But I'm re-watching it. My co-host Jory's watching it for the first time. We are in the back half of the Whole Cake arc. Uh, what, what else do we plug? Um, uh, theme music is in the show notes, which is found. It came to us from the lodge. You can also follow the show on Twitter at MemorizeCast. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash MemorizeCast. Get these episodes early. Get our monthly bonus episodes. Our should already be the most recent one up for The Matrix for March by the time this comes out, because this episode's going to come out in April. What else do we plug? We have a Discord you can join. That's also linked in the show notes or a pinned tweet if you are looking for different places you can find that link that was episode 17 dispute between brothers also it's season two episode 10 but there's also part 17 of the return it's not that it's the 18th overall episode yes now we've gotten it all yeah it's memorized